Hello and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast. My name is Ray Heron. Great to have you along. If this is the first podcast you have listened to of ours, then welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, make sure that you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button and follow along because we're going to be taking you on some fun adventures over summer. We are a podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. As I said, my name is Ray Heron. I'm uh, here pretty much every week. Joining me this week, it is Todd Heslin. G'day, Todd. How are you doing? G'day, Wraith. I am good. Thank you for inviting me back to your audience. No worries. Um, I dragged you back because last week we had the audio from our adventure over the hill in Martinborough, uh, testing out a few cool Ducatis. Uh, we're yes. going to dive into that very shortly, but I want to have a chat about something a little bit more morbid before we get to the fun stuff. Got to have your potatoes with your meat. I am I am all for that. Where are we taking the conversation? Um, well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I heard about a motorcyclist who crashed into a car or a car crashed into him and he died in Wellington. And it wasn't till a day or two later that I got the message that it was actually somebody we know. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, Doc from Motorazi, uh, passed away. Uh, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not clued up into what actually happened in that crash. Uh, I'm not playing the blame game, but it brings to mind a topic which nobody really likes to talk about, and most motorcyclists blame the car driver anyway, um, about our own mortality as motorcycle riders. Yeah. Yeah. I I was shocked when you told me it was him. Um, you and I both spent... Uh, you know, time with him, close close with him and talking with him. And, and we know other people who, um, you know, are good mates of his. So, you know, it, it, it was incredibly sad to hear. I mean, I remember seeing the news article that there was an accident and it's like, oh, I, I know where that place is. And I know several riders around Wellington. Um, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be the first time where I've heard about, say, an accident over the Ramatuckers, where I, the first thing I think of is, well, I wonder what Ray was up to today because I, I hope that wasn't him. You know, mm -hmm. I think we, we've all been there as riders. Like, we hear of these things that happen. And the first thing we do is we think of our mates because chances are they could be out riding today. And there's always that feeling in your stomach where you just want to check in and make sure that they're okay and that wasn't them. Um, and that, you know, there's kind of that, uh, camaraderie as, a, as as riders to make sure that we're all looking after each other. But I was I was really sad when I found out from, from you actually that it, that it was Doc. Um, so yeah, it shook me, and it's unfortunately not the first time that I've received this exact news. No, I mean speaking about Doc, um, such a lovely guy, so full of energy uh, and Beautiful. such a passion yeah. for motorcycles. Um, when I dropped the Beta RR430 in for its 10-hour service into Matarazi, I picked it up and I got it all the way back up to Upper Hut and I couldn't get it started. And Doc, I messaged him and said, bro, I can't get this started. I'm not blaming you guys. It's not your fault. It's just one of those things. Um, got new ideas. And he said, bro, I'm just locking up the shop. I'll be up there in 20 minutes. He came yeah. all the way out to Upper Hut just to have a look at the bike and see if he could fix it. I mean... That's a that's a decent way out of his way, considering you live ten minutes from the shop. That's just yeah. kind of an example of of what, you know how nice the guy was. Um, but yeah, not the first time we've had this kind of news. You and I, not long after we first met, went to the um, the Triumph Tiger Adventure ride up in Raglan. 
Yep. And we had a couple of beers with, you know, a few people in at, at that event. And one guy who came up and had a few yarns, we found out the next week that he died a day or two later in a motorcycle crash. Yeah, he was from um, uh, Hawke's Bay, I remember. Um, Australian guy. Um, that was very clear. He made that very clear at the time. Uh, when he found out I was Australian, he uh, he dug the heels in and, and made sure that was fun. Um, and uh, yeah, had been living over here, living in Hawke's Bay with his mum. And yeah, it was only, what, two weeks later that uh, he, he passed away from a motorcycle accident. Um, it's really sad. I, uh, I The first time this happened to me was a very good close friend of mine who I worked with for several years. Uh, and he was doing a round the world trip, um, starting in Alaska in America. Uh, sorry, not around the world. He was doing tip of America to South tip of South America. Um, and he, I met him cause I was doing a round the world trip. That was it. Um, I was over in the States at the time with my wife and I met him in Canada, actually, sorry, it wasn't the U S um, I met him in Canada cause he was dropping into Toronto and we had an afternoon just hanging out and chatting. And that was the last time I saw him. I found out when I was over in Italy, we carried on to Europe and, um, it was really sad because he actually hooked us up with this, um, uh, what he would refer to as like a, his second mother and father who were living in Italy. Cause he actually went over there as a child and lived in Italy for several months. And the families were really close and he actually connected me with them and we were due to stay with them in like several weeks. So between me last seeing him, which I didn't know would be the last time I'd see him, I still had it scheduled into the calendar to go and visit his like second family that, but he had passed away between those times. It was really moving. He was riding on a bike. Um, don't really know exactly what happened, but yeah, it was one of those things where it just happened to someone that was really close and you know it, it, i think it shakes all of us like hearing hearing a motorcyclist has 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 died or had a crash is is bad but when it's someone you know it's um yeah it's really hard and i like my my my, my thoughts go out to everyone listening who actually does know doc because i know he's just a lovely guy i'm pretty sure i actually saw him on saturday um i was walking the, down through wellington i saw what i think was his bike um it's it's really moving. It's really touching. So how do we stop this happening? That's the million dollar question that ACC, NZTA, the police, everyone's <laughs> yeah. asking. I know. But I, 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 think, not... I don't know if that's the right question. I think because that <laughs> starts to get, it starts to get people into a problem solving mode. That is how do we solve the system? And there are definitely people employed to do that. Um, as you said, like ACC, people at ACC, they need to have that conversation. We as riders, we need to have the conversation about how, what can we do ourselves to make ourselves safer? Um, it's easy when we're talking about the system, it's easy to neglect our role in that and our role in ways of protecting ourselves and protecting our mates. So, you know, simple things about um, when you go riding with your mates, what do you do when they're not wearing their gear? What do you do when they're going to wear their shorts and, and t-shirt and ride down the road? Like, are we actively encouraging them to like, no, mate, put your, just put your gear on. I've got time. Like, let's wait 10 minutes, throw it on. It's fine. Like, are we participating in good culture to actually make sure our, our friends are protected? And then are we doing the same ourselves? Um, you know, the, it goes into more about what it's like for us to mentally prepare when we ride. Um, do we just jump on the bike when we're thinking about the last thing we saw on social media or, or the last fight we had with our spouse or whatever else and just take off? 
or do we take that moment to sit down, respect the bike and respect that it gives us so much freedom at the same time as it can take that away if we if we abuse it? Like, do we give our bike the respect before we jump on every ride? Like, these are the things that I think we need to think about. The system is, uh, I mean, there's so many things, places we could go with that in terms of, you know, rider safety, driver safety, everything else. But I think that misses the point because the one thing we can change tomorrow morning when we get on our bike is how we relate to the bike and how we look after our mates who ride with us. Exactly. And I'm not going to say any more about that because you've pretty much hit the nail on the head and I think you've done a, a great job with the wording you've used. Uh, so it almost sounds callous to say, but RIP, uh, Doc. Um, yeah, we'll miss you, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But let's move on to something that I know that Doc would enjoy. Uh, bikes. Bikes. So a couple of weeks ago, we shot off to Martinborough. Uh, and it was hosted by, and it was organized by, uh, Motomart, who are based in Lower Hutt and, uh, Ducati, as well as Harley Davidson, BMW, and a few other brands. Um, it's no secret the Ducati Desert X has been released. It is in the wild and we got to ride it along with a stack of multi-stratas, uh, yep. and a really cool, um hypermotard thank you that's the one so the bike that we never really got to discuss all that in depthly because we recorded audio and then you rode the desert x <laughs> yeah no. yeah let's dive into the desert x now we're talking okay. a 937cc l twin 110 horsepower 68 foot pounds of torque at the crank uh, a wet weight of 223 kgs and a seat height of 873 millimeters at the lowest point. The Ducati Desert X, the one we rode, had a sweet sounding exhaust, an aftermarket job, uh, and some crash bars. Otherwise, it was pretty much factory. And I jumped on that and went, well, hey, this feels familiar. This feels cool. I like this. It felt very Tenere 700. But of course, being a bigger engine, it had a lot more poke. But you, when I was talking to you while I was riding that bike, kind of went, oh yeah, cool, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm riding a, um, a multi-strata and having fun. But as soon as you got on the Desert X, <laughs> you made noises I've never heard you make. So talk me through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I definitely recorded my thoughts on how the day was going too early. Um, and it was probably appropriate because put it this way, after riding the Desert X, I kind of forgot everything that happened in the day before that because <laughs> it was such a blast. Um, I didn't get a lot of time on it, but the time I had was definitely quality. Uh, for the listeners, I am uh, I did not get to ride it off-road. Um, I actually don't really doubt how it would ride off-road i think it would be you know much like the other bikes in its class um in the sense that you know motorcycles in that sort of mid-weight adventure class are all really good and most of the time if you're chris birch you can do amazing things on it and the rest of us we're learning and the the bike is way more capable than we are capable um and that's why training is fantastic but the when i rode it on the road i have to correct something you said because the exhaust wasn't an aftermarket it was actually a factory option 
Um, I need to point out that it's pretty expensive. I think it's sort of around the realm of four grand plus for the full system. That's the exhaust and the tune. I'm sure you could buy one and put your aftermarket on it. It'll actually be a bit cheaper. Um, but do not ride this bike without having a, the the good exhaust on it. Don't ride it stock. Like it is um, the stock exhaust. It is the most fun sounding bike. Um, it just makes you want to slam through the gears and plow through the corners. Um, on that topic, the bike yes. is 26,700 uh, plus on roads. Your exhaust, yep, about 4,000. But man, on deceleration, you get the pop, 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 pop. And it sounded oh, yeah. rally slag. It sounded angry and it sounded fantastic. There is nothing better than that, right? Like, so there's the pop, pop, pop going down. And then there's a quick shifter going up. Like, that is insane. Like, I was just, you know, flat pinned going on the straight at street legal speeds. And, you know, going from like second, third, fourth. And it's just like, wah, 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 wah. And it's just out of this world how fun it is. Um, I, I would imagine that would same, be fun on the dirt too. I, yeah, on the dirt, exactly. I had the exact yeah. same. Uh, I actually got to ride it a bit longer than you, and I got to get on the gravel as well as the tarmac. Um, keeping traction in the rear would be a trick. That thing would be a tire destroyer. Um, yeah. There was a couple of spells there where we stopped for a pause, and I was playing around, and then we went. And I just went, okay, I know where we're going, straight road, let's go. Um, and lit up the rear down this straight bit of gravel in all well, the first four years, easy. Um, yeah. yeah, so so much yeah, talk. Definitely a tire destroyer, but man, a fantastic bike. It's it. How did it feel to you ergonomic-wise? I mean, to me, everything was where it should be. Uh, the tank was probably a bit wider than what I'm used to, but then if you've ridden BMWs or maybe a Tiger, you might be used to that. Um, yeah. I, I found the ergonomics to be quite nice and quite familiar. Yes. Um, it felt like if, if my tiger and your T7 had a baby, it would be like this. And then that baby got really big and powerful. Um, that's probably where it is. Like it, it had a lot of the seating position I was familiar with, but then a bit more of the stature that your bike has. Um, so I would agree with that, um, characterization. I, I think for the, I would have liked to try it on the dirt or the, at least the gravel. Cause with the multi-strata on the gravel, um, a quick shifter on gravel just feels kind of crazy, but like you'd be surprised how fun that is. Like you, it, like these have really good traction control as well, so you can be literally like sliding it through a corner and shifting at the same time. Like it's just like the sort of thing you just don't bother doing on bikes that don't have the tech because you can just so quickly like you know spin yourself sideways. Um, but these are just so refined, which is lovely. I mean, I think I, so I didn't watch or listen to any reviews about this bike before I rode it. Um, and I wouldn't say I was too intentional. I was just a bit lazy and haven't really kept up with a lot of the Moto Press. Um, a lot of people's complaints about it feel to be kind of a bit, yeah, sure. Like if you're going to pick three bikes and put them side by side and you want to kind of pick pieces out of it, that's sure. Like you could probably say this, you know, the KTM 890 is better than in, in this particular way. You know, the Tiger 900 is better in this particular way. But I just got on this Ducati and I just was like grinning ear to ear. And you heard me over Alcados. Like I was just like so happy riding You were it. cackling. Yeah. Yeah. Laughing like a kid. Like it was just fantastic. Um, now, how much money do you put on 
that pure enjoyment. And the question is like, this is the thing with bikes. How long does that enjoyment last? Um, I definitely know with my tiger, I still can get on after riding, not riding for you know a couple of weeks, get on and just go, Oh, I love this. This is so good. Like I, I forgot how much I love this. Um, I think the Ducati would feel like that as well. Like you would sort of get used to it. You would, the euphoria might go away, but I think those pops and bangs, like, yeah, you could not ride for a few days, come back and then just giggle all over again. Um, even if it doesn't, you know, maybe if it's a little heavier than some other competitors, um, maybe there might be some other tech things that are different in like other bikes, but the smile factor, this is incredible. I, I haven't giggled on a bike for a very long time. Now we've been quite, um, quite complimentary towards the Desert X thus far. Two things that I didn't like. I didn't like, and, and these, when a bike, there is no bad bike these days, right? No one makes a bad bike. So when we're trying to find things to make us sound level, heated and balanced, we've got to be quite picky here. The suspension, the front suspension, the shocks, the fork, whatever you want to call it, were way too soft. Yeah. We can call it a fork because it is a fork. (laughs) Um, I totally agree. That was was the first thing I checked, right? And it was, well, this is really soft. Um, So when you're riding it on tarmac, every corner, every time you touch that brake, the bike is nosing down. Yeah. And then even worse is the rebound was really loose. So you come into the corner, it's it's going straight down, collapsing, but then it would pop up mid corner. So you run wide. Um, I, I saw the suspension and tested that before I got on the bike. Cause I did that before you got on and we didn't want to fiddle with it too much. Cause that's how, like, I think at that point you were also doing gravel. So you wanted the front to be a little bit looser than the tarmac. Um, I was surprised with that. It wasn't actually as bad as I expected it to be when I was on the tarmac. So that was kind of good. Um, but for me personally, I would, ch- I, I would add some preload to the front and see if we could actually try and uh, stiffen up a bit, uh, but definitely get that rebound right. Cause it is, and I'm not, sure you could. it's not easily. automatic suspension, is it? It's not the semi active or active suspension. So you got to do that manually, um, which is, you know, fun. You just learn a few things and twist a few knobs. Um, but if you can't get that back in line for the sort of riding you're doing, yeah, there's more money you got to throw at it. And, and I think that's the context of this conversation, right? It's an expensive bike. So anything that is not quite perfect, it's an expensive bike and you're going to have to put more money in to make it the sort of bike that you want to ride doing the sort of riding you want to do. Um, and that's probably the problem when it comes to expensive bikes is they have to be really, really perfect for you. Otherwise you're buying the new bike and you're spending more money. And a lot of people don't want to do that when they're paying, you know, what, 20, 20, what do you say? 26, 27 grand order for a bike. Um, you kind of want it to be relatively perfect. Um, and I wasn't hundred percent confident whether that front suspension would suit most people's riding. Um, I think it might be a little bit soft for the average Kiwi. Um, and I think that once you start doing harder enduro, you're going to end up needing, uh, stiffer springs. Well, not enduro, the other, but harder, the other, harder thing, trails. the other thing that I found it was annoying. The other thing I didn't like about the bike, I love the big TFT display. I love the back, uh, the black background with the white dials, white lights, mm. that sort of thing. Uh, and it was a color display as well. I wasn't a massive fan of the, uh, the, 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 the controls of that display. Um, trying to navigate mm. through 
you know rider modes and different things there was a a long push of this button here and then a, a, an up and down and then you push another button to enter and i just didn't like that it's not that you couldn't learn it and work your way around it but it didn't seem intuitive or easy to use to me i didn't get a chance to play with that too much so i don't have too much to add um but but i will say that it was generally you could you could take it i guess it's hard with these because you have the you have so many electronics i was gonna say you can generally just take it in any form and go and ride it but it's kind of not true because if someone hasn't learned how to turn it into the different modes riding it in say sport mode or street mode on the gravel is pretty dangerous because the way the traction control and what more the abs um works like you're getting road abs on the gravel is just bad for anyone who who knows it. you really need the off-road abs um they're way more tuned in so those controls not being easy to use is a bit of a hindrance for um new riders coming to the bike uh, and people who maybe just kind of struggle a little bit with the the technology um it's got to be simple if it's not simple it, it can be a bit of a hindrance out of the first batch of bikes that has come into the country i've seen one already which has a big gouge taken out of the tank a big dent and scrape um so i'd say that those crash bars would be uh pretty mandatory but then it, horses for courses you may not want them you may not like the look of them you may not like the extra weight uh if i was to buy the bike the, the crash bars would be going straight on there though and they did feel like solid crash bars they had bracing up the front and they covered you know the whole fearing not just the lower end of the bike so that was pretty good um wind protection color? what do you think of the color i don't mind the white uh hmm. that said it's a very similar color to the tenere 700 which i've had for a very long time right i've got white black and red there's a little less red on the ducati but um no i didn't mind it yeah i i think they've done well with the styling um i love it, the headlight yeah yeah it's i think they nailed the styling and they've nailed the sound but uh yeah you're saying we we, we got to be picky about so, certain things um but generally it's a great looking bike uh it's just going to come down to what sort of riding you're doing and whether it is perfect for you or you're going to need to make some changes and whether you can make those changes you know uh from the stock bike or you have to start to go to the aftermarket and that's another thing right aftermarket parts for a ducati desert x is going to be hard to find right now um you know compared to say like a t7 so you, I've said it said to somebody yeah. else though, the Ducati Desert X to me, because I'm so used to the T7, feels like what I would expect the T9 to be. So Tenere mm. 900, it really does. It feels like the next yep. step from the T7. It's got all the fruit, it's got the TFT display, it's got the rider modes, it's got the spoked um, tubeless 21 inch front, 18 inch rear. It comes on the same rubber as the uh, T7. So I felt at home to begin with i um i mentioned before wind protection uh i didn't have a problem with how high the screen was and it isn't adjustable as far as i know so that was good for me um so as a whole package i really liked the ducati the downsides the sh the shock can be fixed the controls you get used to it the price is the big choking point at about twenty eight thousand on the road plus um extras 
plus you're exhausted and everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's, I mean, it, it's one of those things like you either can afford it or you can't. And for the people who can't, there's heaps of other really good options. Um, for the people who can afford it, I think they need to really consider whether they want to spend that money because they love the bike and it makes them giggle. Um, or they want to get some like a T7 or, you know, like a T9 when it comes out and, and do all the aftermarket thing. Um, I was just thinking though, is there another, you know, L twin or V twin for that matter in that particular CC for the, for an adventure bike? Um, I mean, there's the Vstrom, but like 1050 or whatever it is, but, uh, the other twins, they're like, are they parallel twins? I think most of them, then the, the, maybe you know this more than me, but I'm just trying to think. The KTM's a parallel twin, I'm pretty sure. Tiger's a triple. T7 and the would be a you know the parallel twin. I'm just wondering, parallel like, if they, is there any line. any any comparison here, or do they kind of have a, a unique sort of position if you're really into like the V twin sort of soundtrack and you know power characteristics? Um, you've got the CF Mojo, which I'm pretty sure is a V twin. Um in this capacity, though, I'm just thinking sort of around that, like eight, nine hundred. Not really, because the only other one, what's the what's the Africa Twin? But I mean, you're getting quite big there. But what is the Africa Twin? That's a. Uh, I don't know if that's a um, if if it's a if it's a V. I'm sure people are yelling at us right now, but um, V Twin or, or in um, parallel, I'm not sure. No, it's a parallel twin. Um, you yeah. do have, and we're getting Curious. higher in the capacities again. You, you've got the uh, Pan America, um, yeah. which is a V twin, I believe. Um, yeah. So this goes back to like kind of the, like the V Strom, and you know, I mean, obviously BMWs are different as well. But like you're getting into that the bigger, bigger bikes. Um, this the Desert X is really aimed at like that kind of midweight adventure. It's not. It's kind of heavy, but like the mid. Well, it's also getting up there bikes. and it's also getting up there and like it's at the top end of the mid range adventure right <laughs> yeah. at, at 930 yeah. cc where yeah. i would say your 500 cc's are about the bottom end of your of your mid-range adventure because after that then you're getting into your dual sports and yeah uh, such a crossover it must be one of those horrible venn diagrams where everything crosses <laughs> over with everything yeah, he's got three circles and then there are three circles uh, in perfect uh, parallel to each other. Um, so I, I would say this class is sort of in that 700 to 1,000 mark um, because you're going to be trading off different things from, from horsepower and torque and weight and a whole bunch of other things. But generally under 700, you're kind of looking at more the 600s and 650s and so forth. Um, I don't know if there is 600. Where yeah. do you place it? Do you place it as uh, it's up there with the Tiger 900? It's up there with the 890 Adventure. The 890 Adventure and Adventure are maybe a bit more off-road focused. Um, but then where does it sit in comparison to the Tiger 900? Maybe a little more off-road focused to the 900? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't ridden the 900, uh, definitely more than the eight, but I know the 900 rally took a, a new step towards that. I, I'm just thinking here, my, my view is you, it's hard to look at this objectively. I mean, you can look at it objectively. It's just kind of, I think a bit useless. Um, 
a lot of people buy, I've said this a lot, maybe last time I was on the podcast, a lot of people buy bikes that are way more capable than they are and they just want to ride, like, you know, buy an 890R and they just want to go down a gravel road. Like, that's all they want to do, but they want to have the cool bike that is really, really capable. And that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think, like, for example, we could compare, like, off-road prowess of different bikes and that's useful, but if you're not going to be doing that thing, just because your bike's capable doesn't actually matter. So you should look at like what, if you're going to buy a bike, it's like, what sort of riding are you going to do? And then if all of them are capable of doing that, then it's like, well, pick the one that is like, you know, within your budget and that you love because they're all going to do the thing you want to do. Even if one's way more capable, if you're not going to do it, it just doesn't really matter. Like if you really, really love KTM, definitely get a KTM. Just don't bother um, getting another bike um, because you don't need to go, you know, because you're not going off-road. If that's what you love, go for it. Um, and with the Ducati, I think this is the thing where people get tripped up because it's quite heavy. It's like, well, I'm not going to do like an enduro trail with that. It's like, yeah, you're not, but that's fine. You don't need to. Like, it's okay to do that, not do that. Um, you, if, if all you're going to do is some gravel road and some, some nice twisties and stuff, and you just like the stature of this bike, that's perfectly fine. Um, I sort of preferred it over the Multistrada. Like it just had that rawness that the Multistrada didn't have. Like the Multistrada was so refined, but I jumped on the Desert X and it was way more raw. Uh, I would sort of pick that, I think. Like I, I, I kind of shocked myself a bit. And that's not because I want to do more off-road, even though that's what the bike was designed for. It's just because like, I think that it's kind of just a more fun bike to ride. So what you're saying is we can sit here uh, as much, as long as we like and n debate the ins and outs of every single bike. But when it comes down to it, it comes down to that heart purchase, which I've mentioned time and time again, the heart purchase, the reason you bought the bike you bought because you is because you fell in love with it, which is passion and why we ride in the first place. Exactly. There are, there are folks among us who ride competition and they are amazing and I love their skill and I love their passion. The majority of us just ride because we want to, like we do it because we love it. So why don't you just buy a bike that you love? Um, I should also point out at this point, the Ducati is very expensive. You can love a bike, but if it's outside of your budget and you have to like, you know, borrow a lot of money to get a bike that's way too expensive, it's going to just be more painful, you know, particularly where we are sort of around the world at the moment with sort of interest rates going up. You don't want to hate your bike. You want to love your bike. And there's so many good options out there. Like pick a bike that's within your budget that you love because there are so many options now. It's ridiculous how many options there are for like beautiful bikes that you can fall in love with. I particularly like the Desert X um, for the little ride I had. Maybe there might be a few things I, I, I would dislike about it. But um, if I was going to go and buy a new bike, it would be very close to the top of the list. It would be hard to kind of kick it off. So when does your Desert X arrive? <laughs> well, this goes into a deeper conversation, which is I just don't buy new bikes. Um, I never have. Maybe one day I will, but I generally buy bikes that are like five years old. Um, it just maybe it's because I ride hard and I just, I hate the idea of um, falling off and scratching it. <laughs> and I just, I want a scratched bike that someone else has done a little damage to, so I can feel uh, okay with it. Um, but that's a, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> 
Just interrupting this episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast to let you know it's spring. Have you thought about your motorcycle insurance? Protector Insurance do a massive range of motorcycle insurance. It's motorcycle insurance by motorcyclists for motorcyclists with some awesome benefits like they can give you the booking fee for your Ride Forever course back. They can cover not only your bike but your gear as well and they can do track day cover. So check out protectorinsurance.co.nz and get a quote today. I was incredibly surprised I even saved money on my policy. Protectorinsurance.co.nz That's P-R-O-T-E-C-T-A insurance.co.nz And thanks Protector for sponsoring this episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast. Okay, so uh, before we give that bike a score... Let's talk about quickly the other bikes we rode on the day. Uh, and once yes. again, thank you to, to Maramart for organizing everything and chucking us the keys to so many fantastic bikes. I n- neglected to mention them in the first episode last week. Motomart are awesome. If you're ever in the Wellington region, go and see those guys. Um, I rode the Desert X first, then I moved on to the Hypermotard. Uh, you got a quick squirt on the Hypermotard as well. Um, yep. That thing was crazy, but not as savage as I expected it to be. Well, it wasn't the SP version, so it's worth noting that. Um, I don't know if the SP changes the engine. I know it's definitely got Olin suspension, and maybe it's got a pipe and tune on it, so it might be a little bit more performance. Um, it, it needed to be revved out, right? So we were we were riding these adventure bikes with um, you know torque down low. And then getting on it, it just felt a bit flat. But then when you, like you rode it and it was feeling a bit flat, I'm like, dude, rev it. Get it to like, I don't know what, I think it, it what did it rev out to? Like maybe 12,000 or something? It's still a something twin. mental like that, yeah. yeah it's like, the same engine like, as the Desert X. Yeah. And I was like, just get it above 8,000. <laughs> and then you then you hear it sing. And uh, yeah, it, it was nuts because you're right over the front tire, right? It's, it's a really short wheelbase. And it's got nothing, nothing. Well, it's not nothing. It's got good power. And then you get to the top end and it just pulls really hard. Um, so, yeah, a fun bike, a fun bike to ride. A hooligan bike, the bike that you're going to get in trouble with. Um, yeah, same engine, uh, 937cc L twin, 114 horsepower, uh, 71 foot pounds of torque at the crank. I say foot pounds because the thing I'm reading is American. 200 kgs wet weight. So that is actually heavier than I expected, um, yeah. but a seat height of 870 mil, which is a very, it felt very small. It was a, mm. a delicate little bike. It was, it was. I reckon you could probably shave 10, 15 kilos off that um, if you wanted to um, bring the weight down and kind of increase the performance. Uh, there's a few extra bits on it that you probably didn't need. Um, you could so, yeah, it's like heavier than I expected. kgs off anyone, really. Just stop eating pies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I'm going to keep eating pies. Um, it was it was a cool little bike. I uh, It had uh, good power, nice and small, playful, um, decent commuter. Wouldn't want to do a long road trip on it. That would be very tiring. Um, but, yeah, I've got a mate who bought the SP version, um, and he said he loves it. So, all to him um another bike that we got to ride in the weekend and the one that i was actually uh, more excited to get you on to get your opinion on was the ducati uh multistrada v4s and uh, this is the one that i got to ride a few months back 
um, had zero Ks on it when I took it over the rim of Tuckers. Um, and I actually really enjoyed it. A very comfortable, very refined bike, but a bike that you you don't realize how fast you're going till you look at the speedo, right? Yes, refined Swift. is the right word. Yeah, you you gather speed very quickly. You know, compared to what we feel with our bikes, the T7 and the Tiger 800, as well as the Desert X, like you, you feel the speed, you feel the thing shaking, you you hear the sounds, it's all it's all going off. With this one, you just look down at the speedo, it's like, well, I'm at the speed limit, and that happened in a second. <laughs> it's like, you know, or maybe a few, four seconds, but it was, yeah. It gains Brilliant speed protection, very quickly. Heaps of protection, heaps of yep. wind protection. Um, cruise control with, is it, what do they call it? Adaptive cruise control. So you can set the speed. Yes. And then if somebody in front of you is going slower, you'll slow down and, and um, stay at a, a constant distance. Yep. It's got the blind spot protection. That's fantastic. You know, we, we kind of started this episode talking about rider safety and those two needs, those two um, technologies need to make their way to as many bikes as possible. Um, being able to slow your bike on the motorway when the bike can detect that something in front of you is moving at a slower pace than you is going to help a lot of riders who kind of do a morning commute or something. And they just, they don't quite, they're not fully awake when the traffic is slowing down in front of them. And then that blind spot protection is hundred percent like a game changer. Like we, I think a lot of us are pretty good at checking out blind spots, but having an extra thing there that's just kind of shining, I think is going to save a few lives. So I know Ducati is one of the first to bring it out. Um, and I really hope all the other manufacturers just copy it and, and take it because it's, it's You so were good. getting grumpy with me when I was sitting in your blind spot, making this little light pop up on the wing mirror. I was, I was, you're getting a bit too close for comfort. My bike was telling me, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good technology, and I think that it's going to be very useful in the future. Um, in terms of the bike itself, though, the it, it was just lovely on the on the twisty road that we went on. Um, held speed, held its line, felt really comfortable, did it effortlessly. I can't really fault it um, for touring and gravel roads. Definitely, if you just if all you do is touring and gravel roads, the Multistrada is incredible. This does go back to our conversation about well, it's kind of an expensive bike. I think it's like forty five grand. So, um, but this you know. is your old man bike, right? This is your your retirement plan. You know, yeah. um, I'm I'm mature. My kids have left home. I've got money to play with, and I want to enjoy the finer things in life. You're no longer drinking boxed wine. You're drinking a fine <laughs> rosé. <laughs> well, I haven't drunken box wine since I was a teenager, so <laughs> maybe I'm in multi-strata territory now. Um, <laughs> it, I think it's a really good bike for New Zealand. Um, if I think of the roads that I see here in terms of most of them are pretty bumpy. There's a lot of gravel to go places where you want to go plenty of long stretches where you just want to be able to sit back in the seat and, and cut a lot of miles. It's a really good bike for that. Um, we, I think I had a very similar comment about the Pan America. Um, and I don't know if I'd necessarily compare the two, but I think they, going back to the conversation we had earlier about, you know, where do these midweight adventure bikes sit in terms of like off-road prowess and everything else. I don't think you can really compare the Multistrada and the um, uh, Harley Davidson Pan America, 
but I think the buyer is the same. I think the sort of roads that they'll be doing is the same. And it really goes down to which bike kind of speaks to you the most. Do you like this thing that's a bit of a, um, you know, power machine under the hood with a, you know, a V4? Um, or do you like the more kind of relaxed, you know, talky Harley Davidson style? Like, is that more your thing? Um, and they both will probably do the same thing extraordinarily well. Like you're doing Molesworth and you're doing, you know, SH1. You're not going to go and do a, uh, you know, a tight twisty, um, well, I'd say a tight twisty single track. Uh, both of them probably would make it through to the other side with a lot of effort, but you're just not going to do that. Um, so it's probably the same buyer, even if they're not really comparable on paper in terms of like, you know, prowess in different situations. And the final bike you got to ride was the Multistrada V2. This going into the weekend was not the exact bike that you wanted, but you were talking about a Multistrada V2, the old one, um, mm. a wee while ago. And well, talk me through it. What, what were your thoughts? Because I haven't ridden the V2. I can't, co I can't comment. So the V2 that exists now is very different to the one that I wanted, except for the fact they both had two cylinders. <laughs> um, the one I wanted that was a Multistrada 1200, which had the 17 inch front wheel. Um, and it was really a sport bike in an adventure stance. You could take it on gravel road slowly because you're probably going to put road tires on it with 17 inch rims. Um, but you could put, you know, the, um, Pirelli SDRs on it. They make those in a 17 as well. And you could do perfectly fine on a gravel road. You just have to watch your pace and make sure that you're aware that that front tire is pushing a lot of gravel around. It's not going to, you know, we, we've noticed this between the 21 inch front wheel and the 19, right? The, the 19 sits on top of the gravel more, the 21 cuts into it. So when you're looking for corner traction, um, the 21 just gives you a bit more when you're carrying more pace, um, I took a 21 inch wheel on a racetrack. Like it's perfectly fine. It's all about pace. 21 is going to compromise you more on the road. And then the 17, definitely, or the 19 in between is going to be a slight, you're going to have to go slightly slower when you're on the off-road. Um, so, but this original bike was a 17 inch front wheel. It was basically more of a street bike. Um, the V2 that I rode is actually the, um, uh, successor to the 950 that they brought out um, several years back. And they, this is when they went to like, I think it was a 1260 um, Multistrada. And then they also brought out the younger one or the, the smaller one, which is a 950. So my so thoughts of here, 937cc, uh, Testa Stretta engine, L twin cylinder. This is the same, the same donk that's in the, um, the other two that we just mentioned, right? Exactly. So Ducati's been kind of smart in this. They've reused the same engine in a lot of these different bikes and tuned it differently. Um, it's probably really good to point out right here that the Panigale V4, the race bike, um, or at least the super sport bike um, or sport bike, um, it is uh, not the same engine as the uh, Multistrada V4. The V4 they put in the Multistrada is actually an entirely new engine for the V4, um, which you'd kind of think so because when it goes to the V2, the Multistrada V2, it is the same engine as the Desert X and what they put in the Super Motard and I think what they put in the uh, the Super Sport, um, which is kind of their street-ish version of the sport bike. Um, all the same engine. And the good thing there is that you're basically relying on the fact that Ducati has a 
ton of these engines out in the wild and a lot of the problems get sorted very quickly. Like I feel nervous when you have a bespoke engine and that's kind of the thing with the V4 Multistrada seems to be going good, but because there's only the Multistrada V4 running it, it's risky in the first year or two of production. I usually would want to wait to year three or four to make sure they've ironed out any kinks. Um, I think they did have some in the first few months of launch. Um, but the V2, it's a very true and uh, trusted engine at, at this point. How does it compare? <laughs> I keep getting off topic, but how does it compare? Um, as a bike, it's lighter, more nimble. That was kind of cool. I found that the foot pegs were higher and that made it less comfortable. This tank was smaller and I couldn't grip on very well, which was harder for the twisty roads as well as harder on the gravel. When I was standing up, there's nothing to grab onto with my, my knees. Um, and if you're in full on Chris, Ver Chris Birch adventure mode and you got your shins up straight, the seat was really narrow. So there's nowhere to grab on with your knees to the seat. So not, you couldn't grab onto the tank. You couldn't even grab onto the seat because it was quite narrow. Um, so overall the bike for me, even though it's cheaper, it would require a fair bit of aftermarket, you know, love to, to make it a bike that I would feel is my own and something I could ride the way I want to ride a bike. Um, engine was great. Traction control was fine. Um, all the other electronics and everything else worked as I expected, but it just left me maybe in the same feeling that I had when we did our ride to the South Island with the V-Strom 1050. Because we, I got on the V-Strom and it's like, yeah, it's fine, but I'm going to have to spend some money to make it my own. Um, and a lot of people love doing that. I prefer to have a bike that's pretty much right. And then I have an option to kind of play with it maybe when I want to. Not that I have to do it out of the gate. And the V2 felt more like the, um, the V-Strom 1050 where I, I would have to spend money straight away. Fair enough. So you and I have done quite a few adventures, whether it be on road, on dirt, on a cruiser in the last couple of years. And if you want to catch up on a lot of those adventures, jump on YouTube, search out MotoNZ and check out all the videos. This adventure over to Martinborough, riding Ducatis, thanks to uh, Motomart. What, going into it, what did you think was going to be your favourite bike? And were you correct or what was it? Good question. Uh, going into it, we went through a lot of rain. <laughs> so I was very, very wet when we got there. Um, it was a lovely day there, but getting there, it was a very tough old ride. So um, that was where we started. I expected... I expected the V, the Multistrada V4S to be a bit more raw and shaky and really like exciting. It didn't give me the excitement I expected, but it was way more refined than I expected. And then the Desert X without a doubt was the one that just blew me away. Like I, I thought it would be just like riding your bike with a kind of nicer soundtrack and, you know, maybe a bit more power but it was just incredible. Like the way when you talked about it, when we did the the audio that, that was on last week, um, you were like, yeah, it's kind of like mine, but it's like a bit better. And I, I like, I believed you. And then I got on, I'm like, no, 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 this is just so different to your bike. <laughs> but maybe that's because my expectations were just like, not low. I just had no expectations. I was really blown away. But I thought the 
multi-strata v4s would actually had impressed me more i was impressed in a level that someone might be impressed with like driving a really nice european car pick pick your favorite brand i don't need to pick sides here um but it was very refined and lovely but it wasn't like if anyone has had the pleasure of uh, you, you had it you've had uh subarus in the past but you know right something like a wrx from like 90s or something where it's not refined but it just blows you away with how powerful it is like it's 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 just a different experience you so that was kind of my more raucous yeah yeah i i think i've grown a taste for that um maybe maybe one day when i stop drinking boxed wine i'll uh want the uh <laughs> refined multi-strata um but yeah that blew me so, away that that my expectations were different to what i was going to it so has your opinion changed are you still looking at the older v2 i know it's a completely different bike but yeah um no i'm not i'm not i think from when i was thinking about that my my thinking has also changed in terms of what i want in a bike um i am less interested in something that's super sporty on the street um because now i just spend time at a racetrack and that's where i get that fun um so i'd rather a race bike that's that that serves that purpose on the street i i think it's more like that adventure touring style and i think the old multistrata 1200 just doesn't do that I, I i may still one day get a old 1200 pikes peak because it was a very special bike that looked beautiful my my most favorite color scheme of Ducati was what they looked like in about 2017-18 in um, MotoGP. Um, that's my favorite color scheme. I really hope I can they, they bring that back or I can get some graphics. But um, I don't think I would get that again. Oh, I don't think I would pursue that path. I, I think I've moved on. So bike of the day was the Desert X. Yeah, it was. Hey, let's be fair. This is what they put this ride day on for the launch of the Desert X. I went there to go and ride a few multi-stratas because I really wanted to. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I should drive. I should ride the Desert X because that's why they they, they invited us here. Um, so <laughs> little did I know that's what I would have uh, enjoyed riding the most. So there you have it. There's your rundown on the current model Ducati machines. The Desert X is an outstanding bike. Go and check it out if you get a chance to ride it. Highly recommend it um that's pretty much all we've got to say about that todd so thanks very much for joining me on this uh on this adventure my pleasure i can't wait to do it again if you enjoyed this podcast or you didn't let us know you can email me podcast at kiwirider.co.nz get in touch on social media we're on facebook instagram and tiktok under the handle kiwi rider podcast all my stuff goes up at motonz.com also search youtube for moto nz and you'll find it all there uh and check out kiwirider.co.nz that's the magazine comes out twice a month absolutely free full of motorcycling goodness otherwise i've been ray heron you've been todd Lovely to be on here. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to use your last name or not. Um, this is Kiwi Rider Podcast. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll be back. Well, you might not, but I will be in seven days' time.